Hey everyone, and welcome to another episode of Crushing Real Estate with Brian Pham, where we interview real estate professionals around the industry. If you enjoyed this episode, please subscribe to the show and leave a very positive review. We release an episode every single Sunday, so stay tuned. Enjoy. Hey guys, welcome to another week of Crushing It in Real Estate. This week we have a very special guest. Her name is Diana George. Diana is a seven-figure investor in the Bay Area that focuses on luxury houses and multi-units. Diana, welcome to the show. Thank you for having me. Awesome. Really happy, really happy to have you. So Diana, can you walk us through your real estate story? How'd you got started? Yeah, so I I got started in 2003, oh, wow. which feels like a lifetime ago. <laughs> <laughs> I was, um, geez, how old was I then? Uh, I've been in the industry for, shoot. Almost 16 years. Yeah, I'm 42 now. So, yeah. Um, so, yeah, wow. And um, mm-hmm. so anyway, yeah, 16 years. So, I, I, got into, I got into loans, actually. It was during a time where everyone was doing loans. Mm-hmm. And basically all you needed was a pulse and they'd give you a loan. Mm-hmm. And I, I, then I wasn't, um, of course the subprime happened in 2008. We had a massive crash mm-hmm. and I lost everything. I lost I my house. I just, yeah, it was, it was mm-hmm. awful. Um, and I had this mindset of like, I was, it was always going to be like this. So it was a major, mm-hmm. it was crushing, but it was good. So I truly learned value of time and money. Cause mm-hmm. I was at the time I was 27. I was, you know, I was really, I started younger than that, but mm-hmm. when I was making a lot of money, I was about 27 and the crash happened. And then it was, uh, it was like every brokerage at the time, I think California had 50 brokerages closing a day. Holy moly. And I remember thinking, you know, I should get into real estate because I want to be a real estate investor. That's always been a passion of mine. Mm-hmm. Um, so I got into real estate and it was, I got my broker's license and I saw a job to work at this private equity group that had a real estate channel. And I started with them and I actually started becoming more of an analyst with them. Mm-hmm. And so I started analyzing properties, which was great because it taught me this side of the industry, which I think is absolutely fundamental and starts a great foundation for, you know, mm-hmm. getting yourself into correct, you know, proper rehabs with, with strong ROIs. Mm-hmm. And so from there, that kind of launched, um, I launched a brokerage. I saw Twitter coming into San Francisco back in 2011. Mm-hmm. And my thought was, I saw how much, I saw the values in those areas just go up overnight. That's insane. Then you saw, then you saw like Noe Valley and all these neighborhoods with um, the tech buses. And you saw those areas exploding. So I came to Oakland with the thought that these people are going to get priced out. And I've never understood why Oakland wasn't more amazing than what, I mean, I think Oakland's amazing. I've been there for 15 years. I've been here for 15 years now, but it's always blown my mind that it hasn't been more, you know? Mm -hmm. And sure enough, now it's almost to the point where you're like, okay, guys, stop coming into Oakland. Go away. Um, Yeah, exactly. (laughs) I'm also in Oakland. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. So, but what's great is, you know, I, I started a brokerage called Vault Realty Group. Mm-hmm. Um, I had up to 32 agents at one point. Um, I went over, I sold it, went over to Century 21. 
And Century 21, a real estate alliance, which is great. Uh, they're based out of San Francisco, but they have about 10 offices now spanning over the whole Bay Area. Mm-hmm. And uh, they've been really great about letting me have this flexibility with my investment company. And so I've done between you know, the private equity group and my own, my, on my own, I've done nearly, you know, I've done a little over 60 projects and with the private equity group, I probably did about 30 to 40 projects. So, wow. so roughly. Probably, yeah. About, yeah. So I've done quite a few projects. So, um, I, I love, I love this aspect of it. I love this part of the job is, um, you know, you know, improving neighborhoods and, um, improving homes and, you know, watching families move in or having neighbors walk up to you and say, you know, thank you. And so it's, it's a good feeling. It's also nice to take an ugly home and just make it gorgeous. I think you bring up a lot of good points too. I mean, like you mentioned before, you build good fundamentals, by understanding the numbers. I think that's the thing that most investors always kind of underestimate. It's just the numbers are like, it kind of works out. They're very optimistic about it. But fundamentally, there's a lot more to numbers than what you see, you know? You can always be subject. Yeah. So I think you bring up a good, really good point with that part. I think the also good point good point you brought up was that your foresight. Like you saw, like, appreciation come out with all these tech companies coming in, you know? And you're yeah. projecting, like, different markets and different areas to explode. So that's, that's the one thing that makes you successful is that that vision that you have in that area, like, it gives you that insight to, like, Hey, we gotta go into this area because we're supported by all these facts going forward, you know? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, who would have thought San Francisco is gonna be the most expensive city in our country in the country? I know, right? Wild. I mean, mm-hmm. I mean, I did not see that coming. I've always thought it was New York by a landslide, but yeah, that's obviously changed. And apparently now San Jose is the most expensive. Exactly. The media income there is like, I think what is it? You make less than six figures, you're like property line below <laughs> i know it's so sad i was reading like 110k is like considered yeah like yeah it's barely making yeah. it i'm like are you crazy i think i think it's pretty funny too because we also have the same mindset the reason why i moved to oakland because i'm like dude oakland's gonna blow up like I yeah to here to flip as many houses as i can <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> I know, and now it's to the point where it's like everyone and their grandmother jumped in, and you yeah. can't find a deal to save your life. I mean, I get pitched maybe six, seven deals a day, and a lot of times I'm like, nope, 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 nope. I agree. Um, it's hard. It's really hard. And, and now I've kind of, you know, I think I shifted my strategy with luxury and multifamily mm-hmm. because when I looked at the luxury market back in the crash, when, mm-hmm. when I was doing the analytics of where the market was at that time, if you look at the mm-hmm. charts, the wealthy neighborhoods took a five to six percent hit, and then the second biggest hit was seventeen percent, and that was San Francisco's condo market. Um, but the average in California at that time was thirty-five to forty percent, depending on where you were at. And then mm-hmm. Stockton, of course, was I think what fifty. They they bankrupted. Yeah. So yeah, I mean, it's good to kind of look at analytics of a worst case scenario, mm-hmm. and then luxury took a less hit. And it's funny because. A lot of investors out there, they're so funny. I don't know where they get these ideas, but they're like, oh, the luxury market. I would never invest in the luxury market. Mm-hmm. And I'm like, why? 
exactly. <laughs> no reasoning behind it. They just, they just talk. Mm -hmm. I'm like, have you ever looked at the numbers? Are you looking at the charts? Are you looking at the analytics? You see how quickly it came back. Mm -hmm. And with multi-units, obviously, you know, it's, it's a, the rebound there is great because, mm -hmm. you know, God forbid, if you have a, you know, you have a 10 unit and four people in your unit lose their jobs, you still have six people paying, paying mm -hmm. your mortgage. So, yeah, I like that. I like that approach that you, that you have too. It's actually the second time I heard that. The first time was when I was sitting at a table eating lunch with, with um, Scott Trench, CEO of Bigger Pockets. Um, oh, wow. Yeah, so he actually came out. Well, I was eating lunch with him. We were exchanging ideas. He was like, it's always good to buy it in the best area of any market, you know? And he pushed it, for, he pushed it one more step. He's like, so it's good to buy in the best area of the cheapest market because when the economy crashes, everyone moves to the best area. And that's the best area to do your multifamily or flipping because, you know, obviously when shit hits the fan, like, you want to be in the best area. You know? Absolutely. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> yeah, so. It's so true. It is. But yeah. then it's funny because, you know, I remember in, in 2013, I had an investor that was just buying up East Oakland and I remember thinking, Oh, East Oakland, I mean, East Oakland back then, I mean, you, if people oh, think uh, East Oakland sketchy now, you have no idea how bad it was back then. Yeah. And I mean, I was, I lived in Oakland at a time where like the, the nicer neighborhoods, people were getting mugged at night, you mm -hmm. know? I mean, now that's unheard of, but back then that wasn't. Um, and he was just buying up East Oakland like hotcakes. Oh my God, I must be so wealthy now. Yeah, because <laughs> Oakland had the largest appreciation in the last uh, 10 years. They had 168% appreciation. Holy, holy. Yeah, it's wild. So yeah. I agree with the best neighborhood, but sometimes mm -hmm. the up-and-coming ones are pretty spectacular too because they have such an upswing. But you just have to be smart about it. Exactly. Yeah, and it also goes back to knowing your market, you know? Like how well do you know? Absolutely. Yeah. yeah. I feel like in a safer line, you don't understand the market too well. You want to invest in like nicer areas, you know? Yeah, yeah. And, you know, <laughs> the thing about what we do is it's risk. And it, there's always going to be a risk. Yeah. But how calculated are we and how, and how much knowledge do we have behind that risk is right. what makes the difference. Because mm -hmm. a lot of – some of these investors, like a lot of the newer ones, they're such – they're really sweet. But, you know, they'll say mm -hmm. things like, oh, well – you know, in six months, the market's going to appreciate. So I'm going to make X amount of dollars. Like yeah. you can't go off of future ARVs. Like you just can't, mm -hmm. you can't go off a of future ARV. Like that just doesn't work. You know, yeah. it's not the way the world works, but mm -hmm. that to me is like what I call, you know, very optimistic investing. Exactly. <laughs> that, that <laughs> like, but at the same time, you have to focus back on the fundamentals, you know, but at the same time, you have to understand that you live, you yourself has been through a crash, you know, so you've seen the yes. worst of things. Whereas I feel like a lot of investors nowadays are very optimistic because let's face it, like we haven't seen one yet, you know, like, yeah. hopefully, like hopefully we don't see one, see one that bad again, but we're going to see a downturn, yeah. you know? Well, I mean, it's funny because like this time last year we had a major lull in the market and everyone yeah. was like running with their hair on fire. Exactly. And this year we're having the same kind of lull, but I'm talking to a lot of real estate agents in Oakland and San Francisco and they're all like, we're still getting one to two offers on a property. Uh -huh. We're not getting eight to 10 offers, mm -hmm. but there's still, there's still offers coming in. There's still people buying. There's still that mm -hmm. power there. And then, the, you know, obviously they dropped the interest rates, mm -hmm. but 
it's just funny to me because, you know, people are like, I don't think we're going to come out of this. I'm like, I hear this every single year. <laughs> and it's always I around mean, this time too. I know it's always around this time, but yeah. if you look at the economy's actually doing really well, like the last economic report that came out, the economy's doing actually pretty well. Mm -hmm. The stock market's doing pretty well. Mm -hmm. Um, I mean, the Bay Area is having a little bit of a lull, but compared yeah. to other markets, we're still on fire. I mean, yeah, we are. if you looked at us eight years ago and you're like, yeah, I'm only receiving one to two offers a house, people would have been like, what? Mm -hmm. That's amazing. So it's the fact that we're so used to seeing, you know, 80 people at an open house and, you know, 10 offers. I mean, that's just not going to happen consistently over a year. It's just not. Mm -hmm. I think, you know, I think there's you also brought up a really good point for our listeners too, especially those in the Bay Area. I think that, as you mentioned, like the stock market is doing well. I, I went to Neil Bawa's presentation, uh, his multi oh, yeah. presentation, and he, he mentioned a really strong point. It's like the Bay Area purchasing confidence is very tied to how the stock market is doing, mainly because a lot of investors in the Bay Area are really like well-educated and well-invested. That if the stock market is doing well, what's what, what's the first thing they're gonna under, undermine? They're gonna cash out and buy houses, you know. Yep. The Bay Area in particular is very very tied to the stock market and how it performs. If the market, the stock market like depresses a little bit, then people are not gonna buy any houses, you know. That's, that's a great point. Yeah. Yeah. Absolutely. That's yeah. Best, that's probably the best point I got from his presentation. It was like, oh yeah, it makes a lot of sense. <laughs> it's true because I mean, he, I mean, he's absolutely right. The mm -hmm. Bay Area does have a lot of savvy, intelligent buyers. Mm -hmm. And, you know, um, I think that's why a lot of us who do rehab homes, we go out of our way to do our due diligence and, mm -hmm. you know, pull permits, get inspectors in there, you know, finalize, do mm -hmm. your inspections. So it's because, yeah, you're not, these are, these are really savvy buyers. Exactly. And now, and now, you know, now they're savvy buyers buying a million dollar house with 1,200 square feet. So, <laughs> <laughs> times has changed. <laughs> so, <laughs> we too. All right. So, now that we changed gears a little bit, can you kind of walk us through how you find your deals and, you know, just walk us through how, how, how do you source your deals? And maybe you can give an example of one of the projects you did recently, what you learned, what yeah. now, especially during this type of market, you know? Because I know for sure, if I asked you like seven months ago, your answer would be completely different. But as we both see, the market is slowing down a little bit. So what is your new strategy like? I usually have the same consistent strategy, which is um, I have a group of realtors I work with that I trust. They mm -hmm. usually pitch me deals. Very and if it's, if it's good, I go for it. You know, sometimes it's on market, sometimes it's off market. I'm not one of those people who are like, oh, it's on the MLS. I'm not going to go for it. Because again, I'm not dictated not by what is. I'm dictated mm -hmm. by the numbers. Mm -hmm. And so if the numbers, even if it's on the MLS, I've, I've 70% of my deals have been off market. And excuse me, 70% have been on the MLS. 30% have been off market. Mm -hmm. So believe it or not, I find a lot of great deals on the MLS. Mm -hmm. Um Sometimes, you know, the best deals you'll find are they're out of area agents. Mm -hmm. Those are some of the best deals I always find. Um, a lot of times agents pitch me off market deals because it's a mm -hmm. friend or, 
you know, um, and I'm, I'm very honest when I speak with them. I say, mm-hmm. listen, I'm not going to give you the best deal on your house. If you yeah. go on the market, you get a way better deal mm-hmm. because you know, I, I need to make money on this. So for those reasons, I'm probably going to offer 150K less than if you went on the market. And, mm-hmm. you know, they appreciate that. And sometimes I don't get the deal because I'm, I'm very straight up with them. And other times they'll say, no, we just want to go non-contingent, 10-day close, all cash, and just close this with you. Mm-hmm. So that's how a lot of times I pick up deals. It's just very aggressive terms. Uh, I like that. Um, too. I mean, yeah. also one thing to note as well is that a lot of people would always pitch you off-market deals, but just because they're off-market doesn't mean they're good. Exactly. Yeah. And a lot of times off-market is terrible because people are daisy chaining or, you know, who knows what. Mm-hmm. Um, it's so funny. I'll never forget this one day. I was just, I was cracking up. This guy pitches me this fixer in San Rafael uh-huh. and he goes, um, yeah, you know, um, I can get it for you for 1.4. And I was like, all right, let me run the numbers, you know? Yeah. Two hours later, another guy pitches me the same house for 1.6. Dude, I think I've seen that deal. <laughs> my way too. That sounds really familiar. And then I wrote him back and I'm like, you know, I was polite about it, but I'm like, hey, hey dude, um, what's up with the 200 K price increase? And he's like, what do you mean? I'm like, well, you know, this other agent just pitched this for one four. Uh-huh. He never wrote back. <laughs> he's like, uh Oh, um, I was like, that's, I mean, yeah. Some of these wholesalers are a little like off the charts greedy nowadays. Yeah. Um, they like leave no meat on the bone. Mm-hmm. So I don't, I don't work with wholesalers anymore. Um, mm-hmm. I used to a lot, not anymore. It's just, mm-hmm. I feel like the game of wholesaling is changed. Yeah. There used to be some integrity and some fairness behind it. And now mm-hmm. it's just ridiculous. And you know, a lot of them are manipulating comps to look a certain way. And then when you go run the numbers yourself, you're like, Oh, come on. Um, but there's been a lot of people out there who don't do their, you know, their D and D and get shot in foot. Um, mm-hmm. but yeah, generally, and then I hunt for my own deals a lot. I'll go on MLS or I'll go online mm-hmm. and I'll, I tend to go for the least expensive home in wealthy neighborhoods. Wow. That's a, that's a great strategy. Yeah. And if it makes sense, I go for it. And if it doesn't, yeah. then I just leave it alone. But yeah. Oh, wow. That's, uh, that's how I found my Hillsboro project. Wow. Can you walk yeah. us through that project, Hillsboro? Yeah. We're actually selling it because um, I'm going through a divorce right now. Um, no, but I'm sorry. No, it's okay. No, it's, it's all good. It's, a, mm-hmm. it's all good. But um, basically, it's um, I got it. We got it to a shovel ready point, and so you know, my partner has a really strong background in architecture, and we mm-hmm. got it to a shovel ready point. It took a lot of time because dealing with these more affluent, you're dealing with the towns, and you're presenting. It's not just you go bring in your architectural plans and your structural engineering plans, and you get it stamped, mm-hmm. and you know you pick up your permits. No, you're like literally presenting to people and neighbors, and you know the people of the town. Um, mm-hmm. and so, you know, we got it to a point where it's shovel ready and now we're selling it, but, um, mm-hmm. yeah, but that was, I mean, it's still pretty good considering like, uh, you mm-hmm. know, we got it to that point, we have everything. So we're selling it as a package now to investors, mm-hmm. but that would have been a really fun project to do. Mm-hmm. Um, and then on my other projects, like right now I have a six unit that I'm working on and then mm-hmm. I have a project in the Oakland Hills that I'm working on. And right. then I have, 
other retail. So I also work on the retail side where I do consulting and I Mm -hmm. come in with my whole team of architects, structural contracting, and I'll redo someone's high end home and I get a percentage. And so Mm -hmm. I do that as well. So I have one, I have one in Arenda right now, um, potentially one in, um, Sausalito. And then I'm doing another one in, um, uh, my gosh, I'm I'm blanking. Um, uh, sorry. Uh, another one in the Oakland Hills. Okay. Wow. I mean, since you are specializing with working with so much luxury homes, I mean, I hear my fair share of stories when working in luxury homes, especially in the Bay area. Um, yeah. I know for a fact that some buyers, you know, they come from a very extensive background, me like CTOs, CEO, and they, they were, they were totally nitpick and try to create a lawsuit against your, your fixtures essentially. Right. Uh, what, oh yeah, I've experienced. I'm experiencing that in the yeah. Berkeley Hills right now. Yeah, I, I see. and that's why I do everything by the book. Is so, but they'll. Mm-hmm. The sad thing about California is they let people come after you for frivolous lawsuits. I agree. Yeah, especially in the Bay, yeah. I've seen a lot. And these, like, they want to settle for some ridiculous amounts too, like in, in the luxury side of things. So that's it's definitely some of the more riskier things that you don't expect. You know, you're like, oh no, like you expect like your contracts to run away or something like that. But now it's like, you have to be kind of picky with the buyers that you choose as well. Like who's Absolutely. In- and that's a yeah. really good point that you brought up about the luxury mm-hmm. market. Cause those buyers are, um, those buyers are incredibly entitled and mm-hmm. they think that something is owed to them. Not all of them, but a lot of them. <laughs> and I think, I think some of them, I think what it is too is maybe they feel duped because they uh-huh. came in and they bought, they drank the Kool-Aid and they jumped in with 15 other people and bid the house up and then they have a buyer's remorse and then they're trying to find a way to come after you for it. And that's something I've also heard is like, um, mm-hmm. especially with investors who've broken records in luxury market, like myself, mm-hmm. I mean, I've done, I've done nearly, you know, a hundred projects and I've had one person come after me in, mm-hmm. in 10 years and a hundred projects. And it's like, okay, but that's why I tell investors don't, roll the dice with unlicensed contractors, even mm-hmm. if they're less money or not. I know a lot of investors who still don't pull permits, mm-hmm. which is insane to me. Yes. You got to think like, if this is your career, you want the least amount of liability as possible. And you, you mm-hmm. want to, you kind of want to look at it like a chess game. Is there any way you got to make sure there's no weak points in your armor. Mm-hmm. And you know, so that's, that's the most important thing is you want to make sure your armor is, is solid. Oh, yeah. Yeah. People are going to poke at it anyway, because that's how mm-hmm. people are. But, um, but yeah, I mean, if you can, you know, as long as you have that, you know, mm-hmm. I think you'll be okay. Because I know a lot of investors who've been sued for Dumbest insane things. amounts of money. And, it, yeah. and they would have been okay because they disclosed everything. But then uh-huh. it came out and, you know, discovery that, oh, so-and-so wasn't licensed and so-and-so mm-hmm. didn't pull permits. And you're like, oh, and that's where they, yeah. that's where a lot of investors get nailed. Yeah. There's also one thing I want to point out to you. It's like, you know, you can get per- permits and do everything correctly. But at the same time, it's like, you have to be able to like verify all your inspections are correct. The thing yeah. with inspectors is like, they'll walk through your property. They'll say you passed. A couple months later, you have a situation where one of the screws is not screwed correctly causes a water pipe leakage in your property. So at, at the end of the day, it's like, it's all being careful, you know, like you may pass, yeah. but your headaches are not over yet. You know, you're still liable, especially as a, 
builder owner type of situation where you're completely liable for the situation. Like that's, that's one recent thing that, you know, I just want to point out to our listeners listening, you know, that's why you never want to flip in your personal name. Always put exactly. it in an S corp or LLC. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And then also when the city passes finals mm-hmm. and you know, it does become the responsibility depending on your contractors and you got to make sure they're bonded and insured, but that usually falls on your contractors. Mm-hmm. And so a lot of times if people are coming at you directly, you have to have a really good lawyer to come back and counter and say, no, 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 no. You need to be going after the contractor. And then mm-hmm. a lot of times, unfortunately, because you are the person that hired the contractor, you're, you're going to have to file with the CSLB to, to protect yourself. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. But yeah, it's, I mean, it's, it is not for the faint of heart what we do. Isn't. It definitely is not. Mm-hmm. No. I, I think it's, it's very, very, very nice that you're sharing like all your stories that you learn. So I think when people think yeah. about most investing is like, oh my God, you made seven figures or you made eight figures. Your life, your life, your life is, must be so great. You know, like it's all butterflies and rainbows and unicorns. <laughs> <laughs> No, not, not, not in the Bay Area, is it? Um, <laughs> if I was living in another state, I'd be a queen. But yeah, not here, man. Yeah. <laughs> people, so. people making money out here are grinding. Um, but yeah, it's, no, I mean, I'm, I'm blessed. Like, I love what I do. And I do, and I, you know, my whole thing growing up is my parents, I'm first generation. So my parents came here from another country. And their whole thing mm-hmm. was like, whatever you do, make sure you love it. And you're mm-hmm. the best at what you do. And so I have a lot of it. I have a lot of integrity in what I do. Mm-hmm. And sometimes I walk other, you know, rehabbers' homes, mm-hmm. and I'm like, "What, man? Yeah. Like, you can just tell they're in it for the money. You know, that's yeah. all they give a shit about, and that's fine. But mm-hmm. I don't know. For me, it goes. It's more than that. Yeah. I get up every morning out of bed because something like motivates me. Like mm-hmm. it just, you know, I love what we do. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, I mean, the highs in our business are high and the lows in this business low. are low. And it's how yeah. you manage the lows that, that yeah. separate, you know, the cream from the crop. So, yeah, I agree. I agree. Everything you just said, you know, like you just want to deliver the best product you can. And what's the point in doing something? You're not going to do it well. You know? Absolutely. But you'd be surprised. Yeah. <laughs> and so that, that brings up a good segue point to the next section is like, what is, what is your motivation? What keeps you going every single morning? What is your why? You know, I love that because I read Simon Sinek, Know Your Why, back in 2011, and it like mm, shifted my book. world. It's a great book. I love that. It, it just shifted my world. And um, my why every morning is, I mean, the money's a bonus, right? But mm-hmm. you have to know, like some people will tell you, I'm motivated by money. I'm motivated by success. I'm afraid mm-hmm. of failing. So some people's motivation is fear. Mm-hmm. My motivation, I have to say, is a little bit of like, um, I have a lot of anxiety. So <laughs> I can, like, channel that, right? Yeah. So like a lot of people take like, I don't know if drugs are out there now for anxiety. Because um, I don't do those. I don't do any of that. Like, you know, but I, uh, mm-hmm. I've always you know, I've always taken that anxiety and channeled it, whether it's like exercising every morning or I channel it in my work. Um, I am a bit of a workaholic, mm-hmm. but what motivates me is just um, the passion of what I do, making things like being successful at what I do, you know, having a design eye that people, mm-hmm. that people like love, 
you know, I love coming into people's homes and then being like, what do you think about this? Mm-hmm. And offering ideas and turning, you know, turning someone's home into like their dream home. I think that's where I, I like, I absolutely love doing that is it's your home, but I'm going to make it your dream home. Mm-hmm. And just seeing the look on their faces when you're done with that is like, I don't know, that feeling is incredible for me. I love that. Mm-hmm. Um, and I then, really yeah, like the answer like, that you gave, you know, like most people, when I ask that question, in the podcast are always like, yeah, I'm motivated because I want to live life on my own terms or want positive cash flow. I just want to travel. I just want to be financially free. Whereas the answer you gave me is like, Hey, like it's about the buyer's experience. You know, like how can I maximize that feeling, that feeling of yeah. satisfaction? So that wasn't the answer I was expecting to be honest, but I'm really surprised. <laughs> I mean, don't get me wrong, dude. Like I, I love sports cars and I love traveling and I like the nice things in life. Do you know, um, I'm a foodie. That's a byproduct yeah. of your success, you know? Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah. Um, I think money for me is not a status symbol. It's, it's comfort. It's security. Yeah. Especially in capitalist society money is definitely Mm -hmm. freedom Mm -hmm. and so but you know um that you know i've always been taught that do what you love and money will follow and i never really understood that as a kid but as an adult i totally get that now i'm like okay that's what my parents meant by that Mm -hmm. yeah the funny Um, thing with with that is like it doesn't even matter what you do as long as you're passionate about it somehow money will find you you know, it's so true. It's, I'm a big believer in the law of attraction. Uh-huh. And so, you know, if, um, like putting that good feeling out there, I think, and I think people like, they, they feel that like authenticity, like they feel like, okay, mm-hmm. you know, she actually gives a shit. Mm-hmm. And, and that's why I get a lot of referral business too. I get a lot of mm-hmm. referral business that way. And, you know, I'm really, I'm really grateful. Like I just, uh, I'm always, you know, I always wake up and I'm, I do my little grateful mantras and, you know, I think it's important to do that. Um, I think everyone in our industry is different though, you know, mm-hmm. and that's okay. We all have different motivations. It's like you said, what's your why? And that, that's mm-hmm. my why. With that that's, being what, said, that's, that's what gets me out of the bed in the morning. <laughs> With that being said, like, do you have a morning routine that you follow strictly? Like when you wake up? I do. I, I do. Um, I don't know if like anyone knows Freddie Mercury from Queen, but like mm-hmm. his obsession with his cats is kind of like my obsession. So I wake up in the morning and I, I take care of them. I feed them, make sure they're all good. Uh-huh. I do my gratitude mantra. I drink my coffee. My employee usually gets in at that time. And then we mm-hmm. powwow and we attack the day. And then usually I do a weight lift or a spin class in the evenings. Mm-hmm. And um, that's usually my routine. And when her and I work together, it's generally like we're either dividing and conquering or, you know, we're, um, we're on project sites together, mm-hmm. figuring out what we got to do. And so, yeah, it's been, it's, it's pretty cool. You know, it's, it's, uh, yeah. I dig it. Yeah. So I guess I, like before the podcast, I mentioned that I, I love the fact that you're a strong woman in, inside the real estate industry. I think that that provides a lot of inspiration to a lot of our listeners. So I guess this part is, it's kind of unique towards our podcast. I want to tailor it towards what kind of challenges did you face as a female real estate investor in the industry and how did you overcome them? 
it's funny. I, I still actually face it. Even, you know, I used to think like, I just got to build a reputation and then that'll go away. Mm-hmm. And it never did. And it's kind of crazy, but you just, I hate to say you learn to deal with it because I think there's going to come a point where I'm going to say something back at someone one day. Yeah. Um, but it's not your generation that does that. It's the generation mm. above mine. <laughs> so it's usually the older dudes. Um, mm. But, you know, I was, I was in a, I think the, the one that was most apparent is Ashley, who's my employee and I mm. were in a, in a meeting and it was um, interesting to say the least. And mm you know, we're there for the build design and construction side of things. Mm -hmm. And, you know, um, we couldn't even get a word in because we we kept getting talked over. Oh my Lord. And, you know, then at the end of it, we're told, well, why don't you two say anything? What? And then it was like, well, how could we, you know, every time we said something, we were talked over. Mm -hmm. And then one of the men go, well, I hope you know what a rain guard is because I know what a rain guard is. Jesus. And it's like, dude, I've been, I've built like so many freaking homes. I know what a rain guard is. And I, and the, there's a bitchy side to all of us and the bitchy side. And you want to be like, do you know what a rain gutter is? Cause mm-hmm. I know what a rain gutter is. You know what a downspout is? That's how ridiculous the question was, mm-hmm. but that's what we deal with. And then you can't help but think like, if I was a dude, would I have been asked the same question? Mm-hmm. And same but it is, never. <laughs> <laughs> but it is what it is, you know. And you just kind of you take it with a grain of salt, and you keep working, and you just think mm-hmm. like, you know, maybe that's how they were raised, or that's what they think. And you know, mm-hmm. you, you try to you try to be positive about it and just move on. Mm-hmm. But like I said, it's nothing I get from the millennials. The millennial guys are awesome. Like they're very, uh, I think you and I talked about Sean Pan and some other guys earlier. They're mm-hmm. very humble and sweet and they come up and, you know, they're really cool guys. Um, mm-hmm. Even the bigger names in our business, like Raul Luna and, you know, they're very supportive and awesome. And they're, mm-hmm. you know, you just got to focus on that positive stuff. There's a lot of, there's a lot of people out there who, embrace women in our industry mm-hmm. and yeah there's some of the old school guys who are they're not used to it you know it's mm-hmm. very mad men yeah definitely. <laughs> i mean you did highlight some you know good challenges that you face but the more of the story is just ignore them do your thing do a great job and you know that's exactly it and it's like that's what you just got to do because at the end of the day you don't have to prove anything to anyone you just got to do what you do and like you said, just kill it every day, crush it. Definitely. With that being said, what's the f- most, what's the best deal you ever, you ever fix and flip in your real estate investing career? Oh God, there's been a couple. Um, there's been a couple like big ones that were like major surprises that just blew my arm out of the water by 300,000. And I'm like, how oh, was I that man. off? Which yeah. was great. But usually I'm off by, because like, I'm very conservative. So sometimes I'm off by 50 or 100 or 150. But this one was like over the top. Mm-hmm. Um, it was actually my recent luxury design my partner and I did in the Sequoia Heights area of Oakland. Oh, wow. And I got the ARV on it. The, the highest selling property in that area was $1.4 but it was 400 square feet larger than ours. Mm-hmm. Um, so I thought, okay, well, based on that, and we're more luxury, but we're 400 square feet smaller and Sequoia Heights is, you know, so I figured, okay, maybe 1.25. 
mm-hmm. we ended up selling it for 1.66. Wow. You guys break we bought it for, area? Yeah, we, we, we totally broke a record. And we bought it for a million fifty, but we lived in it for two years. Oh, wow. I didn't, um, that's crazy. <laughs> I know. And another amazing one, and still no one's broken my record. And I sold, mm-hmm. I don't generally sell the houses I rehab, but in this case I did. And uh, this was back in 20. Uh, 2017, mm-hmm. I had a house in the Laurel District, and I picked it up for 350 in a short sale in 2014. Damn, finally, finally clo- I know, like that doesn't <laughs> even exist anymore, right? Yeah, that thing, that thing closed, and then I ended up selling it for. I put 140 into it, and then we ended up selling it for a million thirty-two. Wow, that's that was a great. Yeah, so there's been a few out there that's been my multi-unit rehab and sales have been really good too because of the cap rate. And that's the other thing people need to learn is that multi-units are more focused on cap rate value versus comp value. Mm-hmm. Comparables are very important because you also don't want to be like, wait, you know, out in left field either. Meaning mm-hmm. if you have a six unit and your cap rates getting you a value of 1.7, but the highest sale in that neighborhood is 1.5. You may want to reevaluate. Of course. What that is. Mm. Um, and it's also really important to know what the cap rates in a certain district are. That's really mm-hmm. important. Like in San Francisco right now, 3% is pretty common. Mm-hmm. In Oakland, 5, 5.5 is now common. Mm-hmm. Um, when I first moved to Oakland, people were getting 15 to 22% cap rates. What is this, the Midwest? <laughs> I know. I was wild. <laughs> I know. You're like, what? Yeah, so it's crazy. But I've done... I've done a lot of projects where, you know, I'd say 98% were six figure returns. Mm-hmm. Um, and then amazing by the way. Uh, thank you. Awesome. I've had a couple that were like, eh, it was okay. I mean, mm-hmm. I've never lost any money on a deal. Thankfully, knock on wood. Um, <laughs> <I'll rock off laughs> <for you. laughs> yeah, thank you. Um, yeah, but I, that's why I say analytics is so fundamental because mm-hmm. if you know your numbers, I mean, what, that guy, the prophet always says, if you know your numbers, you know your business. Definitely. And that's so important. I mean, I live off of spreadsheets. I have a mm-hmm. spreadsheet for when I'm analyzing a home, when I'm analyzing a multi-unit, I'm doing my budgets on spreadsheets. So what are my contractors getting? What's my material cost with my labor? Mm-hmm. You know, what's my rough? What's the interest I'm paying on hard money? You have to like, you have to know all of your numbers. And when you have a tight eye on everything and you have, a, you have strict guidelines, mm-hmm. that's how you make money. And that's how you, because if you see an area that's hemorrhaging or that's off, you're going to, mm-hmm. you're going to go to it immediately. Of but if it's all swimming in your brain or on, mm-hmm. you know, pieces of paper, how are you supposed to know that? Exactly. Especially if you have like five, if you have three, four, five, six projects going at once, mm-hmm. there's no way. Definitely. I think you bring up a really good tip too for like this type of market, you know, and as you know, just, just give a date for our listeners. Today is October 31st, 2019. <laughs> <laughs> just in case you listen to like a couple, Halloween. couple months later, but you know, I think you bring up some really good tips for this type of market is like you have to have a tighter control over your numbers. You know, like that's the only way you're going to survive market correction or a market downturn. You know? Yeah. And even like, even like bad contractors, I know people mm-hmm. who've lost their, 
lost everything because of a bad contractor. Mm -hmm. And if you have enough margin in there, you can afford some of those mistakes. Mm -hmm. I mean, they're not ideal. Don't get me wrong, but Hey, at least you're still in the green or even in the black. Exactly. But, but you know, I mean, I've worked with contractors that were unreal. I mean, scam artists. And mm. yet I was still able to make a six-figure profit because the margin was so big in there. <laughs> you know, and that's what I tell people. I'm like, so that's the thing is I used to do a lot of deals with a smaller margin. And now I'm doing, I'm very selective about the deals I do. Because mm. if I'm going to work hard and spend this time doing it, mm. you want to capitalize on it versus, you know, doing a lot of little deals, but some people have a business off of doing little deals and they kill mm -hmm. it. Definitely. You know, they do really well. Mm -hmm. I think you also max maximize your time too. It's like, you know, you're gonna spend all the effort. You might as well make the most money you can out of it. You know, cause yeah. the, way, the way I think of it is a flip's a flip luxury home or, or non-luxury or lower margin, a big margin is still a damn flip. It's still a lot of work and stress involved, you know? Exactly. You didn't pay a lot more for your time. So I like that approach a lot. Yeah, know? absolutely. I mean, sometimes um, when, when, I, when I present at speaking engagements, I always say, you know, go after, I have like, so every now and then I'll do what's called, I call it a snack. Mm -hmm. And it's a deal that you can rehab. It's pretty straightforward. No reconfiguration. Oh, <laughs> <curl>. <laughs> like you know, you just, you jump in, you do a quick rehab. It takes you three to four months and you walk away making like 80 it's like, yeah, great. That was awesome. You know? Um, mm -hmm. so I, I don't, I don't, you know, shy away from things like that. I'm, I'm not too good for that. I, I love those kinds of deals. Those are great to have, you know, yeah. they're, they're nice little bonuses to have. Um, I like the humble yeah. you have too. It's like, you know, you're not, you're not too good for anything, you know, just go out there, have some fun in the day, you know, yeah. deliver the best. Product. I'm very, I'm very dictated by numbers. Like, it, yeah. you know, I see a lot of investors, they get emotional. And I'm like, you, there's no room for emotion in our business. It's, it's like, it is what it is. I mean, the numbers tell you what to do. The numbers yeah. are either going to say, you can't buy this house, but the numbers uh -huh. are going to be like, oh, hell yeah, we're buying this house. Oh, yeah. Or, you know, so it's, the numbers are, the numbers dictate my everyday life. Like, that's what I'm doing. Mm -hmm. if, exactly. if the numbers are like, hey, your budget's going to only be this much money, so you better figure this out. Or, mm -hmm. oh, yeah, we can have a little bit more yeah. than, you know. <laughs> But I'm so tight on budget that mm. I'm the opposite of most people. So most people are like, yeah, I went 20000 over budget or I went 10000 over budget or mm. gosh, one guy told me 90000 Jesus, how big? <laughs> on my last project, I was $40,000 below budget. Mm -hmm. So that's what I mean by keep your eye on the numbers because mm -hmm. you find things and you're like, well, wait, why are we doing this when we could be doing this? And then... You'd be surprised, 2,000 here, 3,000 there, 1,500 there. It adds up in the course of six, seven-month rehab. Mm -hmm. I, I can admit to that. I have my fair share of uh, over-budgeting. <laughs> yeah. Uh, <I'm> <laughs> a, lot, a lot of investors do. It's yeah. a common thing I hear of. It's a big, it's a big, big mm -hmm. thing I hear of. All the, yeah, it's pretty common. I also feel like it's more like a like an emotional thing, you know, it's like, oh, I can handle 600. I can handle 700. You tell yourself it's okay. But that's where things go bad. Cause those things are yeah. four months later. Oh crap. I'm over by 10, 20 grand. Damn it. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And that's what I mean. Like if you, that's why I'm always like, my spreadsheet is basically the rule of God. It's like, okay, yeah. that's my Bible right there is a spreadsheet. So mm -hmm. yeah. I mean, 
that's that's great that you're giving us all these tips. I mean, as as we're approaching the end of the show, like I want to close out by saying, I want to close out by a couple questions. Like, what did what did you say is your favorite book that super inspired you? I know you mentioned one earlier, um, but do you have a, a different book that comes to mind to give to? Yeah, there's a there's a couple of them that were really inspiring. Um, Good to great was a great book that I read. I love mm-hmm. the 48 laws of power. I love just because I'm, I'm a big, I'm a big history buff and I just yeah. love anything. Um, I love Sun Tzu's the art of war. Mm-hmm. I've been reading that book. Like I keep going back to it for like the last 10 years. It's like probably mm-hmm. one of the most strategic books and kind of gives you kind of gives you a very realistic perspective on human, human nature and mm-hmm. following, like looking at patterns. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, I just, those are like some of my favorite, I know those are all old school books, but those are like, seriously, all my, yeah, those are those are books. my favorite. Yeah. And then my favorite, one of my favorite podcasts is, um, the impact theory. Oh yeah. The women, the women and the men's one. Um, mm-hmm. I, I like both of those a lot. Yeah. I'm a big, yeah, I'm a big fan of those guys. And then, um, yeah. And then there's Michael Chervais, who's another guy I love following. He, He's a corporate psychologist and was a psychologist for the uh, Seattle Seahawks. Mm-hmm. But um, he has a very interesting approach to things because he has that psychology, that psychology background. So mm-hmm. he has a very his perspective on things are just um, fascinating, and they also kind of make you think differently, which I love. Yeah, I've, those are really good suggestions. I, I'm like zoning out because I'm like, oh wow, like those are really good tips. <laughs> I need to write, write those down. <laughs> Thank you for that. It's good thing you're recording this. You can just play it back now. Um. Exactly. <laughs> hey, hey, Diana. So how can our listener, listeners find out more about you and reach you? Yeah, so um, my new company is DG Design Group. Mm-hmm. Uh, my website is www.dgdesigngroup.com. Mm-hmm. And my contact information is on there. Um, Yeah. So, and then, you know, we also work with investors, but I know a lot of times we're not so great for investors because we kind of hurt their their ARVs Um, just because, you know, we're, you know, we do add a a significant cost to things, Mm -hmm. but um, I do get calls every now and then from investors on the luxury side. And so mm-hmm. sometimes I come in on that side as a consultant, but yeah. Makes a lot more sense. We, um, <laughs> yeah. What yeah. was that? That makes a lot more sense. Coming, yeah, yeah. It's, yeah, it's kind of hard to jump in on like a, I don't know, a million dollar project, but, um, but yeah, so that's, you know, um, that's where you can find me. So awesome. Hey, I appreciate you being in the show. Thank you for your time. Thank you so much for having me, Ryan. That was awesome. Definitely. All right.